Hello and welcome to another episode of The Rhythm of Rebellion. I'm your host, Taina Asili. Thank you so much for joining us again for another episode. Today's guest is Bonfire Madigan Shive. She is a visionary cellist, vocalist, and community activist who I had the honor of befriending while on tour together in California with Rock Against the TPP. Madigan has an extraordinary history as a performing artist. She started playing cello at the age of nine and began composing music at 15 in the Pacific Northwest riot girl scene, releasing music with independent record labels K and Kill Rock Stars. She's gone on to establish herself as a trailblazing performer, blending folk, punk, classical, and avant baroque styles. Madigan has collaborated on stage and in studio with influential musicians such as Hal Wilner, Kimia Dawson, Cat Power, Fugazi, Jolie Holland, and Elliot Smith. Her music can be heard in films including Better Luck Tomorrow, But I'm a Cheerleader, Chain Camera, and Crooked Beauty, and she's been commissioned to compose for numerous productions. She is currently finishing her sixth full-length album. In addition to her vast music work, Madigan is a contributing author to the anthology Live Through This on creativity and self-destruction and a founding collective member of the Icarus Project, a progressive peer-led mental health community and support network. Her life's journey from traumatized youth to virtuoso musician and pioneering mental health activist will be captured in the upcoming doc opera Whisper Rapture, a bonfire Madigan suite. Welcome to the show, Madigan. Hi. I am so excited to be talking with you today. I'm totally honored to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I wanted to share with you that um, I've been feeling really empowered by your work since I witnessed the performance by you this summer at the Rock Against the TPP tour. There is um, an aspect of watching you perform on stage that brought me closer to remembering an aspect of my own voice that I've struggled to allow to sing um, since I left uh, the punk band Antiproduct in 2002. And it's a type of rawness that comes deep from the core and goes spinning out in whatever way it needs to when I allow myself to be vulnerable and fully authentic in who I am in that moment. There's, a, there's an aspect of vulnerability and authenticity and rawness to your work that to me is just really um, powerful. And so I wanted to know, how do you identify what that is? And how do you touch that place when you're writing or when you're performing? Wow, thank you. And well, I just want to say that it really means a lot to me. It's, um, I think it's at the core of why I've felt called um, to show up as a performing artist and as a, a conduit of this energy and expression of music, of music being the universal language of emotion, right? And uh, to me, being the connection of our of our present awareness, 
moment together right now, which is consciousness, which is the only thing we have, which is our togetherness right now, right? I think about how the heartbeat is our first relationship to music, the heartbeat of the mother and the child in the womb. And there's something about that, this this very um, out of time, nonlinear, beyond human understanding of the universe and existence, which we, we still have no consensus on how we got here or where we're going, right, <laughs> mm. as a species. Um, and to me, that relationship to the, to the ineffable, to this visceral sense of how did I get here and where am I going, the only way that I, I literally stay sort of sane or balanced is to persevere access to that. And access to that to me is through this raw expression of right now's feeling and understanding of where I am and what is possible and how do I express that. And I've just, I've always felt that the more layers and armor I take off to accessing that, the more deep, penetrating connection. I have to other people, to strangers, to um, this existence, right? But also, there's something um, that's almost like this this collective spiritual release that happens when we all get this sense that we are we're all in the same boat, you know? <laughs> we're all in mm. the same planet Earth, and we are really one when we go deep into our our dreaming of becoming and our our memories of death and birth and the circle of what brings us all here and what maybe will return us or send us to what's next. And that the journey right now is all that we have. And that there's a reason that we're all here together at this same time. So something, you know, I, you and I have talked at different times about this sort of church of punk rock that called us into one part of music yes. and has been a um, very important touchstone on our evolution and journey as artists and musicians and activists. And I think that's what I'm called to make sure continues to be the root and the tether of my work. And also, I, you know, I hope my, my existence and my evolution just as a compassionate person. Mm. I really resonate with that. Um, I'm thinking of recently, I had a concert locally and um, it was a concert that happened during a time period where there was a lot of uh, emotional turmoil going on in our community around an issue. And I was just so angry when I hit the stage and so raw and also super, super filled with love for my community. And I just didn't care you know, about quote unquote performance and was just emoting whatever I needed to emote. And I felt fully in myself and I thought of you, you know, mm. I was thinking, I was thinking of you and I was thinking of, you know, our music is very different, but there is like a way that you just center that so well in your work. You know, your work I think is very exquisite in terms of like the composition and the complexity of the music and 
you know, all of that. It's beautiful, but you don't let that composition define whatever it is that, at least as I see it, as I, as I experience it, you don't let that composition define whatever it is that you need to release in that moment. Would you say that that's true? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, yeah, it's funny because you remind me of, you remind me of something that was said to me kind of early in my career and, you know, being like a little white kid from the Northwest or something who was taking the cello and vocals into this realm where, you know, punk was not so much defined by a sound here in the Northwest at these times, but more of an attitude, right? An an anti-establishment attitude. And I was given permission to uh, just explore this anti-establishment, this anti-apathetic, anti-consumer-based approach to um, making music, right? And so I, I'll never forget, though, being in that scene, you know, very young scene of um, all ages shows and activist culture and stuff like this. And then having, but having some music fans of different generations want to see what this young cellist is doing with this instrument that you don't usually bring into these spaces, right? Um, and doing it in very unconventional, non-traditional ways. And I, I'll never forget this older guy saying to me, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure how you're doing this, but you're reminding me of these these blues players whose whole, the whole um, art form of blues is like, you can't know about the music till you play it. And that's mm. really blues, right? <laughs> and I think that was very, that resonated a lot with me. And I think on a, on a strange level, even though I was a cellist and a composer and going into the realm of performance art, there's something about the blues that, that connects me, something about this, avant, um, this avant-garde approach to interacting with that, this moment, the way that someone like John Cage or folks who really realize that sounds, that whatever sounds are happening right now are a part of the living music that we're interacting with. And that's the, you know, the audience breathing together or or whatever it is. So I I was given this permission very early just to literally be in dialogue with right now. Right. And I love what you Mm. were just saying about this, this uh, performance you just did this concert, because I, I hear you saying that you allowed yourself to go into right now, right now, as defined as this emotional, molecular truth, radical truth, right? And to me, that's what music is, right? Mm-hmm. If we're really allowing ourselves, because I, I don't buy into this idea that, um, you know, there's just the way pop music and music made to sell things to us has brainwashed so many of us of what even music can be, you know? And uh, I think the more opportunities we have to get out of the way of that and show ourselves and the people around us that music is about this deep connection to our our living, breathing, becoming selves and that we are co-creators of what right now is. And ultimately, that's how we're going to remember and to put into action that we are here to be change makers, right? We're not here to be reality prisoners of this, you know, this uh, toxic poison prison planet of you know capitalistic vulture directions that that doesn't Mm. have to be our collective reality right now right Mm. that we can step into our essence of feeling and becoming and interact with that and share with that and go deep raw to right now how we're feeling and dreaming 
and share that and express that. And that's also why part of my life has been this activism around liberating the full range of human emotion. And so when I step into my music, I've made a promise to myself and a connection to my ancestors, you know, which being from this colonial settler, um, pioneer kid, part of my heritage has also been being a part of this shrapnel of human life who was there to be the buffer between indigenous indigenous spirit and connection to earth and this corporate colonial connection to the death machine and my people were like supposed to be the literally just the shrapnel buffer between that some of them right just mowed Mm. down and and so there's a part of that that I feel like we from this connection of colonial uh, intention we have an important moment to be on the side of of the living earth and our living feeling connection to nature and becoming and what we are as a species, which is this animal spiritual self, right? And literally put your animal spiritual self in, in the moment where that is how, where you're moving from. I think everybody feels um, then more of an opportunity to be their own authentic self and live the values and emotions and dreams, conversations that, that can awaken that. <laughs> that mm. it, rem- it reminds me, I had a, a really amazing moment um, the first time that I was performing in uh, Scandinavia. And you know that I'll be returning there in a few weeks to work on a, a really big piece that I'm excited about. And the first time that I was there in Oslo, and I, some of my mother's family are from the north of Scandinavia um, and immigrated through Canada to the Pacific Northwest. Well, I found out that some of them were connected to the Sami people, the indigenous people, and the spiritual center of the Sami people are the women who are connected to the living earth, right? And this is true of many indigenous peoples around the world. And I was performing a piece of mine where I had one intention at this this festival in Oslo. Part of my intention was to just somehow showcase in a few minutes the essence of what I do as a performer and composer and I had an idea of what I'd do and as I started to go into this idea of what I do it just went into something totally else this improv reality of where I was right then and at the end of a couple minutes of me showcasing this one of the the men um, who is quite known composer and this jazz artist who also is very much involved with indigenous Norwegian and Scandinavian history and stuff he put his hand on my shoulder. He came onto the stage, actually, and he was crying a little bit. And he said, I don't know how you're doing this, but you are creating sounds and sharing music and expression that I have only heard when I was up in the nor- in the Arctic recording Sami women in the 1970s. <laughs> and you, mm. are, you are bringing that into right now, and I don't know how you're doing it, because he knows that I had never been to Scandinavia until this moment. And I really felt like my ancestral heritage somehow just started to come through me, you know. Wow. Um, and I hope, you know, I hope that that's that's what we're talking about, right? <laughs> Getting there, being able to share that. <laughs> this yeah. story is reminding me so much of an interview that I heard with Bobby McFerrin mm-hmm. um, on On Being, another podcast that I love so much, and he was talking about the power of improvisation. And he was talking about 
um, a time on stage when he was improvising and he was not using language uh, that he knew of anymore. He was just uh, vocalizing, you know, sounds. And afterwards, someone backstage came up to him and said that he had been, um, and, uh, you know, I'm, not, I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but it was something to the effect of there was an indigenous language from Africa that this person had been documenting that's starting to disappear and that he wanted to know how uh, Bobby McFerrin had learned this language because he was, you know, using words from that language. Wow. And McFerrin was like, you know, no, I, I've never heard of this language. But it, it was, it, you know, what you're talking about to me is so interesting because I feel like both of these stories, and they're very similar, are talking about the way improvisation, which I think for me is a powerful way of tapping into that vulnerable, authentic self that I was talking about earlier, um, allows us to not only be fully present, but like spiritually connect to our ancestors and to, you know, all those that have come before through sound, you know, and through that vibration that we have always known. And, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about improvisation in my own art um, ever since I heard that um, interview and ways that I want to continue to fold that in more and just allow myself the freedom to really be where I need to be and vocalize what I need to vocalize in that moment. So that that was really inspiring to me. It's interesting that your story um, is really parallel to his story. Mm. Um how much does improvisation play in your work? Yeah, so in my own work, improvisation, it's always been very central, but it's something I kept closer to my chest for quite a while and would use in a rehearsal setting a lot more. And um, when I started to rehearse more on my own and embraced uh, you know, the trajectory of being a composer and then bringing in a band and an ensemble, and sometimes I do write with other people. I started off writing more with other people, guitarists and other songwriters and stuff. But for quite a while now, I've been more, you know, on this journey, um, when I'm composing with or for myself, you know, my cello is like my ultimate partner in that journey. So I think what happens is I'll, I'll hear something in my head or in my body or in the environment, and I'll bring that into the cello and through her and together there'll be sounds or rhythm that I'll start to riff on jam with. And that's a lot how my compositions come to be materialized. But now I, I much more am excited and empowered to leave the spaces. So you have a structure there, but you have a lot of mysterious questions of where the beginning, middle or end is or variations on, um, you know, changes in the composition or where something can go. And now it's something I, I almost always do, depending on the nature of the piece that I'm doing, whether it's my own song or something more instrumental or, you know, kind of why I'm, wh how I see myself sharing it. But a lot of everything that I create, I feel like is an opportunity to be shared in a new way. And I, because I also always believed that the best pieces of music could be interpreted by anyone who felt a connection to them. And if 
the piece was solid enough, it would transcend time or genre. And that's always my intention as a composer is to put work out there that is outside of the box of mm. of whatever um, shelf you want to try and put it on. I'm, I'm very much not, I'm not interested in labels. So <laughs> I try yeah. to sculpt so that that container is solid enough to, to both, you know, be beautiful as the composition it is and, and project its truth and beauty, but also to be interpreted as radically and wildly as anyone um, who resonates with it would be able to. So what pieces of your music activism have maintained and what pieces have shifted, transformed or blossomed as you've gone along in your immense career? as an artist. Well, I've come to a point to realize that all the efforts that I do as a musician are are also very much about my own healing journey, right? Because mm. ultimately I I've come to really accept and embrace after a, after quite a while of feeling a, it wasn't an option that somehow being quote unquote political or or you know, I I've I come from an era or time where that message that the personal is political, you know, coming out of whatever wave of feminism that did, and embracing it in a more intersectional way in my own life, I felt that as a deep truth. You know, that was a sort of hard one journey. And it was really my diving into radical mental health and mental health, our inner world and outer world and community world, living for the interdependence of that and, and stopping to think that somehow I couldn't have a career as an artist if I also was as out and vocal about the social and environmental uh, catastrophes that we're living through and how paramount and central that is to me in vocalizing just as a human being every day and whatever kinds of relationships I'm in, right? So how, how could I somehow cut that off or amputate that from my art or from my understanding of self, right? And again, I mm. think that was, a, that was a deep permission that I was given coming through quote-unquote punk or alternative music and art communities and whatnot, that we didn't have to separate ourselves from our values and our ideas. And in fact, ultimately, what is art if not just an exploration of ideas? I'm, I'm hearing your two beautiful children in the background, or at least one of them, yes, yeah. and, <laughs> which I love. It makes me so happy. Aww. And, um, you know, I am a mother of two as well. And I often get the question, you know, how has becoming a parent, becoming a mom influenced uh, my work. And I was wondering that about you. Yeah. So being a mama, that sure. Yes. Parenting has rocked my world in all ways, especially in the realm of being an artist and creating, well, you know, cause we have to really create our career out there. The arts aren't a world that people just start doing stuff for you unless you're completely in some corporate pop machine or something. And I, I don't know any of those people. I don't relate to that world really at all. Mm. But I think the bigger message of parenting and mominess is this vision I couldn't have, this, you know, what indigenous folks talk about, the seventh generation lens, um, suddenly became very important to me. And it also illuminated my own ongoing struggle with suicidal despair and this sense I carried around a lot 
that was sort of like, when do I get to get out of this, you know, this toxic Mm. reality, right? (laughs) Mm. And that could be a strong ballast for me at points. And it's definitely something that I will continue to move with, something I call the deep pressing end. Instead of the lakes of depression, I have this relationship to coming to the edge of the deep pressing end. But now with parenting and and seeing these lives growing into their own generations, um, it gives me the long view, right? This telescopic lens that I couldn't put myself quite up to that view, into that, um, that scope of possibility until they needed me every day to serve them and be served by their growth and to be connected to my own deep growth, to how change is our maker, to my own childhood dreaming, to my own possibility of becoming. And now I get to walk with them, these little lives becoming. And it certainly shifts the kind of value or my own going into my own self, my own ego, right? It keeps that Mm. at bay um, in a much more uh, illuminating and functional way for me. And, And it also... It, it gives me impetus, extra energy that I want them to, I want them to see me, their mama being the most authentic me I can be, because I want to see that for them. Yes. So, you know, even in my most despairing moments, I, I think oh, I got to show up for myself here because I need them to see that in themselves and them to see me doing what I was made to do here. Absolutely. Absolutely. I resonate with that idea so much because for myself, you know, it's, it's always like this um, pull between, you know, creating space for myself to do the work that I know that I was sent to this earth to do, you know, in terms of my music, but also the work that I was sent here to do in terms of my parenting and spending time with my children. Sometimes those pieces don't always fit perfectly. I still see me performing and touring and and living my truth and living my passion as an as a as a part of parenting helping them to feel inspired to live the lives that they were sent to this earth to live yeah absolutely and it's not always easy yeah. and i would say the other piece of that is community plays a big role for me you know i was all about in my younger years creating intentional community but i don't think that I really understood what intentional community was until I became a parent and, um, you know, started to build community with other families and in different, you know, families, maybe not even necessarily with children, but just like creating, you know, realizing this interdependence that I, that I, um, that is necessary in order to fulfill that thing that I was talking about of being a musician and a parent and whatever, just like living on this planet and, and raising healthy children and being a healthy person, I need community. And it never became more apparent to me until I had children, um, how important that was and how to do it. Yeah. You know, um, would you say that that's true for you Is community important part of, how you balance that out. For sure. And you know, it's really interesting what you're saying, because I, you know, I share a lot of that. And I, I continue to have visions about um, being a part of, of creating these sort of peer respite spaces and communal, you know, I've long been a part of communal living spaces. And I mean, to varying degrees of, of functionality and healthfulness. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, you know, it's funny, because I've been involved in community and activism, and especially my work with the Icarus Project, all about creating a peer 
horizontal um, movement with folks, you know, that isn't about the experts and professionals dictating how we feel or what healthy means to us, but really led by the people experiencing these extremes and what gets pathologized as brain illnesses or diseases, which actually we know is not even scientifically accurate, right? (laughs) So we Mm -hmm. really have to, um, you know, bring harm reduction and informed consent and a lot of research about what we do understand about emotions in the brain and trauma and connection, right? And how addiction and wellness and sense of self plays into that because these things have torn people I love, my family, close community members apart uh, because it feels like if we're not quote unquote high functioning enough, we have no place in society and we're just a liability to everybody, even alternative spaces, even, you know, punk houses or politically progressive communities can't deal with that. What do you do when somebody's really in an active psychosis and self-harming or so quote unquote gravely disabled, um, seems like they can't function or take care of themselves. Right. So this is the level of trying to shift my own interactions with people around me and be a bridge. Light your candle for the one you left behind. Light your candle for the one who's with you all the time. Who's with you all the time, child, who's with you all the time. Light your candle for you, you're with you all the time. So when I was in California, you told me about the upcoming documentary about you, Whisper Rapture, which, um, as I understand it, is about uh, your journey from the trauma of your youth to becoming um, the beautiful musician that you are and also becoming the mental health activist that you are with uh, the Icarus Project. And um, I recently watched the trailer for it and was completely blown away, Madigan, by how beautiful it is. Um, I loved the visuals. I loved the audio, the narration. Um, and if that's just a taste of what's to come, I cannot wait to see the finished project. Mm. So I wanted to see if you could tell me a little bit more about, um, Whisper Rapture and what it's been like for you to be documented in this way. Mm. Yeah. Well, first off, thank you. Thank you so much for following our journey and, this is definitely a huge labor of love and it's um, been a few years in the making now and we're just getting into post-production. So thank you for checking in and staying with it. And, you know, we, uh, uh, the director, Ken Paul Rosenthal, he um, completed a successful Kickstarter for it back in, gosh, I think 2013 or 14 now. And, um, you know, like all these things, it just ends up taking more time and resources than you realize, because it's really his project. And I'm really, it's such a blessing that he came forward when he did with the idea for this project, and um, just completely embraced me, my story, my music, and said, uh, you know, I'm just inspired to make what he calls a doc opera, a documentary opera, of your music 
and journey into how you became this musician and how much the music is a part of your own healing process and has been a part of your, you know, mental health activism and activism in the world. And he is a big fan of the Icarus Project. And we had crossed paths over 10 years ago now when he came across the project. And in fact, I was in New York working at the very first Icarus Project kind of collective office space in Hell's Kitchen when his email came in from San Francisco saying, you know, I'm this kind of experimental documentary filmmaker from the Bay Area, and I've fallen in love with Icarus and the project and the writings and ideas of navigating the space between brilliance and madness. And he had an idea to make uh, an experimental doc about the project and his lens of that. And he ended up profiling one of the founders of the project, Jax McNamara, and made Crooked Beauty. And I ended up being kind of peripherally involved with that. And and then I contributed original mu- music to that piece. And it took a bunch of years to make it, you know, mostly self-funded and through some donations, applying for small grants or whatnot. And then when that film came out, it, uh, you know, it really had a strong effect, this poetic lens of the journey of radical mental health and the extremes of what is called mood disorders and how we build community out of that shame and trauma and how much that shame separates us from each other and ourselves and what an exciting bastion of support and pure strength Icarus has brought as a community. And then when that, you know, he toured that movie around the world for about four years at, um, different community centers, at film festivals, at, at in psych hospitals and community recovery centers. And uh, it won some awards, which was really exciting. And, and I really fell in love with his point of view and his own journey and his coming out about his experiences with mental health and seeing him, seeing his, his art form, his filmmaking as a part of activism. And it wasn't long after I became a mom and relocated more out of the country that he contacted me and said, I'm having a strong vision about my next film being about you and your process. And he had read my chapter in Live Through This, this book that I wrote a chapter for. um, And I really went deep into my collaboration with Madness and my, the cello as my partner in that. And um, my belief that we don't need mainstream psychiatry or the DSM to decide for us what normal and healthy is. And in fact, it probably does more harm than help to most people and has been a part, really a tool of um, continuing racism and colonial, you know, patriarchal oppression to the planet and our, our people, <laughs> our, our humanity. Mm-hmm. And uh, the biggest part for me is he started to say, you know, you gave me a bunch of recordings and you gave me rough mixes of your new album and I can't stop listening to this stuff. And when does the world get to hear this? And when are we going to hear, you know, this new album and stuff? And um, that was so powerful for me, you know, because after I became a parent and uh, realized that I wouldn't be able to afford to live in the U.S. anymore as a full-time, you know, parent and artist and activist, Uh, I didn't have the resources to finish that album, but his love of the work, he said, you know, even if when or how you get this album out, this, this film showcases half of my new album and uses the music Mm. as sort of the character of the film. 
And then he started to go deep into wanting to hear more of my story of uh, where the muse comes from and my relationship to hearing voices and how I've come more out in my life and in my community with that and how for me, it's a very powerful relationship and most of the time is very healing and very positive because overall we don't we don't have access to many stories of how hearing voices and in and collaborating with psychosis or mania or extremes can actually be very empowering for individuals because the whole message we get is that these are bad things this is a negative you know like depression is just negative or psychosis is just horrible and you just lose everything and that's not to take away from that really happens and people do lose their whole lives because they have no idea what to do or where to go and it is really scary and can be when you have no <laughs> you have no um you know you have no access to to how to get through it or that it can actually be an important part of breakthrough you know breakdown is a is a vital piece of breakthrough mm. so that's really the nutshell of how the film came to be and his just his passion and um you know he's become this sort of midwife character for me now with this film and this album and to get now to this place where whisperrapture.com is up we have the trailer there's work samples we've done a lot of the filming he's done extensive interviewing with me he's taken that chapter and teased it out into um you know a whole interactive kind of poetic world that will appear in the film and i love his approach to filmmaking and i myself have long been a fan of film as as a beautiful kind of new medium i feel like we haven't you know, film is about a hundred years old as far as an artistic medium goes. And I, you know, where, how often do, do we have access to art films, to experimental films, to, you know, um, experiencing film in a way that, that challenges us, but also hits us as authentic and as, um, beautiful and, and nonlinear. And cause what he does, and, and you, you can see it, at whisperrapture.com in that trailer, he really takes us the natural world and the urban environments and lets us go close and deep into just how light moving across a landscape or putting us in environments um, in the natural world in a point of view that we no normally wouldn't see or experience and letting us stay there for a moment. And then how sound, yeah. Um, yeah, how the sound of that and the experience of that and he's really fearless and has a and he's fearless in his approach to that and creative and what that can be but he also has a strong point of view in being a cinematographer and being a a director and i've seen him evolve a lot with this project and that's um yeah that's exciting we've become really close friends and we're excited in the next year year and a half at the most to to tour this thing around the world and it's a half an hour piece more or less and so I think it will make a really beautiful program too, where I can do a, you know, a, maybe a 30 minute set of music, show the film. We do a Q and a kind of town hall discussion around it. And, um, I think it will be a beautiful event to take around the world. And I'm really excited that whisper rapture a Bonfire Madigan suite and the album that I've been working on forever, which is about 90% of its way, um, got to head into the mixing mastering realm, but it's called covert constellations. This is your sixth album. Yeah, correct? it would be technically the well for Bonfire Madigan, it would be my fourth album, but I've made six 
full length albums since I started putting out my own music under some other names and whatnot. But yeah, this will be my sixth full length studio release. And yeah, it just seems, well, it seems definitely time. <laughs> and it also yeah. like the time is ripe, you know, and sometimes we don't get to decide when our work is supposed to arrive in the world. So I'm going to just really trust that, you know, in this next six months to a year, um, yeah, it's just, it's going to be beautiful because it's also 2017 is the 20-year anniversary of Bonfire Madigan when I started putting out my work under this name. And so... If the stars are aligning. That's how it feels. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you have such an immense body of work. I just love that this is kind of the culmination of that. But I also in- have enjoyed um, digging back into your body of work. You posted most of that up on Bandcamp, correct? Yeah, I'm just in the beginning stages of that. So I've started to leak um, a bunch of that work, one of my first EPs, which I just called Madigan, and is definitely this cello punk album. And it features Laura McFarlane, who was the original drummer for Slater Kinney. She made that album with me, Sherry Ozeki, all women doing just, you know, our kind of my version of chamber punk, um, which I guess, you know, some people music, kind of underground music, snob historian people say, you know, I was kind of at the forefront of chamber punk and that would be the album the rock album so yeah uh, there's a band camp bonfiremadigan.bandcamp.com and I'm just starting to leak it there and you know we haven't done a big publicity push yet but that will come in the next few months and it's so exciting already just a little ripple of people who were around at that time people who weren't people have no idea that this music even ever existed and it's it's a pretty cool moment that we have the internet to archive and document and share um, what we've been doing. I'm really excited for this uh, documentary to come out. I'm really excited to get more of your music as you post it on Bandcamp. And it sounds like 2017 is going to be a really powerful year for you. You're also getting back to Europe, as you mentioned earlier. And I was wondering if you could tell our listeners a bit about what you're going to be doing out there. Yeah, February. I'm actually I'm heading out at the end of January to start our our whole pre-production rehearsal and teching journey. I'm, I'm a part um, of presenting a, a new play. It's by a French playwright. So um, it's just going to be a few weeks run um, through February. The show will be up. It's a four-person play called Zeta Hotel, and it's the world premiere in Oslo. And the playwright and the producer and sound designer on the show are aware of my work, saw me perform in Paris several years ago, um, just been aware of what I've been doing, and they just wanted to bring bring my flavor and visceral style into this show, and I'm really excited. I'll be the performing musician, actor, composer on stage, uh, performing the score live. So I, um, I've already written a bunch of, you know, kind of main motifs and ideas for the show, but I'm going to work with these actors and just dial it in for the run. And I love to do that. I'm, I'm a theater kid myself. And I've always said that everything ultimately is theater. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe also being a queer, I've o- always felt that away uh, so much that way about what does presentation mean and masculinity yes. and femininity. And we're all at play with our identities and our feelings and our sense of self. And we're all, you know, trying on new hats and walking in each other's shoes, or that's my intention. That's what keeps me grounded. And I love to work in theater. 
So yes, I'll be out there from the end of January through February. There is still a small possibility I'll do a, a, a really little concert tour, some of my own dates around Northern Europe um, in early March, late February. But if that doesn't pan out soon, then I will be going back, you know, with the film and with the new album and whatnot. And I have to say just yesterday on solstice i i released the first time ever the score that i wrote in 2010 to the lion in winter which is an amazing show an amazing quite famous play and it was made into a movie in the 60s or 70s with katherine hepburn and blah 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 and has a very famous score by you know that i think won an academy award or something but you can now hear my score my version on Bandcamp to the lion in winter uh, I had such a fun time doing it. And I decided to put up just like 60 tracks of all of the incidental musics and scene change music, as well as the opening song and motifs. And um, it's kind of a neat journey if you are anyone who loves uh, the process of creating music or just loves theater and wants a back kind of behind the scenes backdoor listen on how um, scoring happens for a live production. Because mm. Nobody has heard this stuff outside of just the run of that show um, in 2010. And it was so cool because I just put it up and I've already had people, a few people who were part of the production, a few people who saw it, and then people who haven't at all, but know my work in the theater because I have been working in theater and film now for over a decade as a composer, performing artist, and just getting great feedback. You know, somebody said, said, wow, maybe Games of Thrones that I don't even know this show, really, I'm not a TV person at all. But I Game guess of Thrones. Yeah. yeah, they were like saying your music for this thing makes me feel that the, you know, the sound designers and composers on that show must have heard what you were doing or something. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's a very because uh, the show, t- it, it, it takes the show um, takes place during medieval Britain time, right? So I use stuff like hurdy gurdy and really ancient sound forms from well from medieval times, and but use my cello and voice and percussion as the backbone of the show. Uh, so people, yeah, so you're welcome to go. Anybody can go listen on Bandcamp to also what I'm doing as a composer. Well, Madigan, I'm so thankful that we had this opportunity to talk, and I wish you so many blessings in this new year as you launch all this beautiful, powerful work into the world. Thank you so much, Taina. This is um, really so fun to be on this journey with you. And I'm so, so happy to be aligned with you. And I can't wait to hear and be a part of um, more of your work emerging in the world. Yeah. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you so much for listening to The Rhythm of Rebellion. You can listen to The Rhythm of Rebellion and read our show notes at rhythmofrebellion.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You can find more info about Bonfire Madigan Shive at bonfiremadigan.com and more info about my music at tainaaseli.com. I want to thank my guest as well as my editor, Gaetano Vaccaro. Until next time.